Open Kwong Door Media presents Storytime with Paul Door. In each episode, you'll receive a short adrenaline shot of a story straight to the mind, heart, or sometimes the funny bone, wherever that is located. And stay tuned after the story for Paul's Picks, where I indulge you with something I'm reading, watching, or listening to. This week's story, Skydiving, recorded live off the floor at Stories We Don't Tell. So, hanging out the door of the ratty plane, the plane was held together by duct tape, heavy clouds blocked my view of the earth, which was 10,000 feet below. Did you know that when a human being jumps out of an airplane, they travel upwards of 120 miles per hour? What kind of damage occurs to a person's body when it hurdles 120 miles per hour and slams into the earth 10,000 feet below? The wind uh, whistled loudly. This was not a good idea. <laughs> In the history of ideas, this was the worst. My instructor, the tandem master, nudged me and I had a moment of clarity. I was sure I was going to die. I blame this all on my friend Jim. It wasn't his fault that he turned 30, but it was his fault that he wanted me to go skydiving with him to celebrate turning 30. <laughs> we made the pack late one night in a bar, of course. The copious amounts of alcohol might have had something to do with my enthusiastic commitment. Laying in bed the next morning, hungover, the alcohol-fueled bravery of the previous evening had evaporated, and I tried, I tried to think of all the ways to get out of this. With death in the air, it became very annoying. Uh, we had a two-week deadline before jumping, and I let everyone know this repeatedly. Uh, telling friends about my death became an enjoyable pastime. <laughs> this is the last Saturday of my life, I said. <laughs> this is the last time I will eat at this restaurant, I reminded them. This is the last time I will see you. Besides, besides annoying my friends, my other pastime became thinking about all the ways that I was going to die. The parachute failing to open, the parachute opening but having holes in it, lightning striking me in midair. But chances were I would die in a very boring way, say the plane crashing before we even got the opportunity to jump. So we arrived at the skydiving site, which was out in the country surrounded by farmers' fields. A large barn operated as the office. Beside the barn sat a line of trailers. Lots of young people with long hair and beards and vintage clothing mulled around in small groups, drinking coffee out of dented tin cups and avoiding eye contact with us skydiving virgins. <laughs> a young woman took us for a tour of the place. In the back of the barn, rows of parachutes lined the floor. People con concentrated on meticulously folding these parachutes. All of the instructors rolled up random parachutes and always used different ones when jumping. They did not know whose were whose so that everyone would give 100% of the rolling efforts to each individual parachute 100% of the time. But what, was but what if someone was having a bad day or was hungover? This was not something you could do at 75%, even at 99.9%. <laughs> To me, this was a communal level of responsibility I'd never seen before and simply didn't trust. I thought this was insane. 
The final stop on the tour was the audiovisual room. Uncomfortable multicolored plastic chairs sat in front of an old television and VCR. I hope their skydiving equipment was more up to date than their audiovisual <laughs> equipment. The safety video must have been uh, about circa 1982. The host had badly coiffed hair and a thick Burt Reynolds mustache. You are holding your lives in your hands, Burt said. <laughs> the danger of death is all around you. <laughs> he talked about all the ways we could die, and I was right as he went through lightning, cables, parachutes, not opening. He signed off by saying, I'll never forget this. This could be the last stop on the train of life. <laughs> After the safety video, we went for our training, but the word training was up for interpretation. We were, we were tandem jumping, uh, the type where you jump with an instructor. You were attached to the tandem master via harness system. Bert explained to us that you need no prior jumping experience as the tandem master is responsible for overseeing that everything goes according to plan. The tandem master has hundreds, if not thousands, of jumps under his or her belt. My tandem master was a tall, gangly fellow with long, scraggly hair and curly Q beard. He wore an old t-shirt with a fading band logo, frayed cut-off jean shorts, and he was barefoot. His name was Thumper. <laughs> now, I'm going to repeat that. His name was Thumper, and he was the man that held my life in his hands. <laughs> So Thumper led us out of the barn to a makeshift replica door of the airplane. The training took five minutes. Standing in the hull of the fake plane, Thumper instructed me to place one foot on the platform just outside of the door, and next I was to cross my arms in front of my chest. One, you bend forward, two, you rock backwards, and three, you fall out and under the plane. If you jump out, the force of the wind might thrust you backwards, smashing you into the plane, rendering you unconscious, and most likely falling, falling to your death. <laughs> Bert failed to mention that point. <laughs> and that's it, Thumper said. What do you mean, that's it? I asked. Thumper paused, looked over to my friend Jim, and said, Look, we have some time. There's a town about a 10-minute drive away. Maybe you could take your friend here and get a drink, you know, take the edge off. <laughs> so I said, listen here, Thumper. If that's your real name. Excuse me if I'm a little nervous, if I'm displaying a small amount of anxiety. I would not say I'm afraid of heights. I have no problem riding up long escalators. <laughs> or being on the top floor of a high building. And I don't even really get nervous when flying. However, I do not jump off that escalator when I reach the top, <laughs> or jump off that high building, and I've certainly never felt compelled to jump out of a plane until about two weeks ago. <laughs> yes, these things contain the illusion of safety. Yes, I realize that I could get hit by a bus crossing the street tomorrow. But I would imagine the percentage of dying when you're actively and voluntarily jumping out of an airplane is much higher than being hit by a bus crossing the street tomorrow. Yes, Thumper, I'm scared. I'm sorry that my fear is showing. I fear that I attempted to cover up the past two weeks with my obsession over how I was going to die. But let's look at this, shall we? 
I'm paying you a pretty substantial fee so you can show me safety videos that are probably not regulated or official in any way. We trained for a full, full five minutes. I mean, it would have been nice to have a little bit more information. Say, maybe seven or eight minutes. I'm introduced to my tandem master and you're named after a fictitious rabbit from a 1942 Walt Disney movie. You're not wearing any shoes. And I'm supposed to trust you with my life. And now you're ridiculing me because my hands are a bit shaky. Because my voice is cracking a bit. And your suggestion to quell the sphere is to put alcohol into my system. Before we fly 10,000 feet into the air, jump back down, falling at speeds of 120 miles per hour. Well, excuse me for being a bit scared. Of course, I didn't say any of this to Thumper. The plane, if you could call it a plane, appeared as a wobbling speck in the sky. The only evidence it was a plane was that it was somehow airborne. <laughs> as we waited for it to land, Thumper wasn't happy with the weather system coming from the, in from the east. He put his hand to his brow and sniffed the air, narrowed his eyes, the overcast clouds approaching. I don't look like the look of those clouds, he said. On the plus side, if they stay, it means we get to go higher. <laughs> the plane bounced off the ground a few times before landing and rolling uh, towards us on what appeared to be a flat tire. It was a hollowed out prop plane with just enough room for the pilot, Jim, myself, and our two tandem masters. Rips and cracks were covered with fraying duct tape. The plane felt like it was coming apart at the seams. Now that the plane was on the ground, I wondered how it was going to get back in the air. Jim and his partner were up front by the pilot, Thumper and I in the back. Thumper was relaxed and his cut off, sprawled his long legs out. He opened a compartment closed up with duct tape and pulled out a book, The Tao Te Ching by Lao Tzu. I guess he was also a philosopher. We climbed the 10,000 feet slowly. After breaking through the clouds, Thumper motioned for me to hook in. I sat back in his lap and he put his arms around me. <laughs> and I wanted to stay there. <laughs> Inside this ratty plane, 10,000 feet in the air, in the arms of a grown man named Thumper, it felt safe and it felt warm. <laughs> Jim and I had a deal. Since this whole thing was his idea, he had to jump first. And it was time to jump. So Jim got into position. His tandem master gave a nod to the pilot and he opened the, the uh, small door. The sound was like being inside a turbine engine. Jim looked at me, there was nothing left to say. He got into position, hands on his chest. One, he bent forward. Two, he rocked backwards. Three, and then he just disappeared. You know those scenes from a movie when a plane rips open in midair and passengers get violently sucked out and die terrible deaths? It's exactly what it looked like. I blinked and Jim was just gone. So Thumper tapped me on the shoulder. I snapped out of my haze and he motioned towards the door. I shook my head. He nodded and I shook and he nodded. And he kind of pushed me towards the door. As per my training, I was supposed to put one foot on the platform, 
outside the door, then cross my arms in front of my chest. Staring down at 10,000 feet, that's the most vulnerable thing that you could possibly do. <laughs> Instead, I kind of laid back and I put my feet against the door and my hands up here. <laughs> and uh, Thumper kind of kicked me into place and he pried my hands from the door and he forced them in front of my chest. And I looked down and I went one and I wrote back two and then I fell out of the plane. And the only thing that I got was the certificate that Thumper signed with a little happy face on it. <laughs> Thank you. Time for Paul's Picks, where I briefly tell you about something I'm reading, watching, or listening to. I don't have any sisters and brothers, and uh, I'm alone in the house. So I have three things to help me. The cat, and the books, and the music. Haruki Murakami's books are addictive. Okay, this is a general pick for the author's total oeuvre. Really, just grab one of his many books and you'll get hooked as well. I just picked up his latest collection of stories called Men Without Women, which will probably be featured on Paul's pick in the future. To write is a very, um, it's a very solitude, you know. You have to uh, walk alone when you're writing. So um, I need some things to help me to keep on writing. So music is one of them. An ex-girlfriend of mine turned me on to Murakami years ago with Norwegian Wood, and I quickly devoured every one of his books I could get my hands on. If you do want a gateway drug into Murakami's work, check out 1Q84. Sure, it's big, but you'll tear through it at a ridiculous speed. Thank you for listening to Storytime with Paul Dorr, which is brought to you by Open Kwong Door Media and is produced by me and PJ Kwong. The theme music is by the amazingly talented singer-songwriter Arlene Pakulin. Find all things Arlene at arlenepakulin.com. Visit openkwongdoor.com and listen to our other show, the At Skating PJ Podcast. Check out paldoor.com to read my blog, get info about my novel, storytelling events, and other things. If you like what you hear, we'd appreciate if you leave a comment on iTunes. That's all for now. Until next time, keep listening to each other.